0: Hello, this is John Chambers, and it's great to be together with all of you uh, on our regular podcast. Today, uh, we are centering off of tech disruption and both the opportunities and the challenges that it presents. I am honored to have my very good friend, Arianna Huffington, with us today. She's accomplished more in her lifetime than most of us even dream about being able to do, and she's just getting started. Uh, she masters one area, and then she moves to the next. Uh, She's clearly the leader, prior leader of the Huffington Post, author of 15 books, and I was lucky just to get one out, Uh, Time Magazine's Most 100 Influential People in the World. Uh, She uh, has an MA in economics from Cambridge uh, University, uh, obviously one of Forbes' most powerful women many, many times, originally from Greece, and she moved to England when she was 16. And from my perspective, personally, she's just wicked smart, Uh, always sees the big picture and able to articulate it and make the conversations fun at the same time. She logically breaks down what you need to do to steps you take or priorities to achieve your goals. And you broke through many of the glass ceilings that females face. In our country, both in the past but also in the future, and I'd love to discuss that again today in terms of what we must do better uh, in this area. You have a great sense of humor. You tend to be really direct, which I love, and somebody I admire greatly. I've got to admit, Ariana, my hands are sweating a little bit. I normally don't get nervous on an interview, but you got me a hair nervous here, which is just great. So, thank you for joining us today.
1: Oh, John, I'm thrilled to be with you. As you know, I've been a long admirer. And you and I met many, many years ago in Davos during a session um, that was so much fun to have your incredibly um, innovative approach to everything there um, in uh, real life.
0: Well, it is interesting. I've quoted that session many times you were the only person that I knew in the whole session. And I wonder why my team signed me up for it. It ended up being one of the best learning sessions with brainstorming, quick ideas with people that thought together. And you come up with complex answers to really complex uh, issue in 20 minutes. And it changed how I use my teams at Cisco and beyond. So I'll try to do a great job by interviewing you today. And uh, I'm going to start with Tell us what you're doing now with Thrive Global. What are you trying to accomplish? Was it hard to transition from a big company leadership to a startup? So, yes,
1: um, it was um, 2016 um, when I decided that really what I wanted to do for the rest of my life was help people. Uh, go from greater awareness around how can we improve our health and our well-being to actually doing it. You know, moving from awareness to action, as you know, John, is very hard. Behavior change is very hard. So ever since my own uh, burnout in 2007, when I collapsed from sleep deprivation, exhaustion, um, hit my head on my desk and broke my cheekbone, I started covering these issues of burnout, of stress, of the need for sleep and recharging exhaustively on the Huffington Post. But by 2016, awareness around these issues had grown tremendously. And what was happening is I was getting people coming to me and saying, okay, I know I need to get more sleep or to exercise and move more, but how do I do it? So I decided I wanted to leave the Huffington Post and start a new product-based company. Yes. In order to be able to answer that question. But it was hard. Not just because HuffPost had become a big global media company, but because um, it was like a third child. I have two daughters and uh, I loved HuffPost. And I remember, you know talking to a friend who said to me, stop like making a list of pros and cons. That's what your heart wants you to do. Close your eyes, take a deep breath and jump. And uh, that's what I did. Uh, starting again, uh, as you know, having to raise money, hire staff, you know, all the things that a startup has to do. And then, you know, we're doing really well. And then the pandemic happened and it has been a huge accelerant of everything because we launched Thrive to end the stress and burnout epidemic in 2016. And burnout was not a term used much then. Now, of course, you can hardly open the Wall Street Journal, (laughs) all the Harvard Business Review without studies of burnout in workplaces.
0: You know, the timing could not be more important. You know, people describe luck as being fortunate. I've always watched uh, how you execute and great leaders execute. Luck is the definition of what happens when opportunity meets preparation. It couldn't be more timely. You've got 60% of American workers thinking that they need to change jobs. You've got over 50% of the workforce saying they've been seriously depressed in the last 18 months. And yet there are a few people thinking on scale, how can you really help them? Uh, there are probably 250,000 followers of mine on LinkedIn and a sizable number of those will listen to this, but kind of educate us a little bit on how you approach this problem and how do you use the products that you build to really help people through this transition. And don't hesitate to bring in mind what you're doing in my home state of West Virginia with one of the smartest uh, uh, medical professionals I've ever met there in terms of what you're doing together as well. So
1: the exciting thing um, at the beginning of Thrive, John, was um, working with great scientists and behavior change experts to crack the code on behavior change. As you know, behavior change is the hardest thing. And uh, I started studying the phenomenon of why is it so hard? And um that was a necessary first step before we could build a behavior change product that works. Yes. And that's really what we've built. It took us uh, three years of doing a lot of live seminars in 47 uh, countries with hundreds of companies collecting a lot of data and information um, and, and, What we discovered is to really change behavior, you have to engage the mind and the heart. And you have to approach the whole human. A lot of very successful behavior change products in the market are point solutions. You know, you have a meditation app, or you have, I'm wearing my aura ring to track my sleep, Uh, or you have um, an app that um, counts your steps. But a human being is incredibly interconnected. And uh, also, you need to touch the heart. You can't just approach it through the mind and discipline. So our product um, has six journeys that capture the whole um, of a human experience. You know, the first is recharge which is sleep and 60-second resets during the day to course correct from stress, food, movement, focus, which is so key because we are all so distracted and addicted to our phones and social media and games and binge-watching. So how do we set up boundaries to be able to do focus, deep work, or simply focus recharging then money as you know money is financial stress is a huge source of stress that affects our health and well-being and finally connection and community so six journeys broken down into hundreds of micro steps that we call too small to fail Hmm. like literally based on the latest science, John, that tells us it takes 60 seconds, for example, to course correct from stress. That's an incredible finding. The fact is that stress is unavoidable in life, but cumulative stress is avoidable. If we allow ourselves the 60 to 90 second breaks to take deep breaths or remember what we're grateful for or get up and stretch, that prevents stress from being cumulative. And then storytelling. So it's science-backed micro steps and storytelling so that we can actually be empowered and inspired by hearing the stories of others. Like just to give you an example, we launched today um, the app to your old company, Cisco.
0: Oh, great.
1: Yes. And we launched. Thank you. With, with stories from leaders like Fran Katsudas, you know, the head of people. Yes. Um, or this amazing leader we are working with, G2, who is running a lot of strategy now. And they they have their own stories in the app about what they're doing for their well-being so that when all the Sisconians, as you call them, uh, go to the app, they will feel they have cultural permission to engage with their well-being. So this is really how do you create a cultural activation? It's not just like here is an app and download it and pay us on utilization. I think that model is broken. In order to really affect the well-being and the health of the an entire uh, workplace population, um, you need the engagement of leadership, and um, you need then to collect the stories of those participating to inspire others.
0: I'm going to ask a question uh, because so many of the uh, listeners are part of small business uh, elements and part of startups. Uh, I'd love for you to do two things. First, what was most enjoyable about going from a big company to small company and what was most challenging? And then secondly, you've done a great job with fundraising and you've got a lot of money to spend now. How do you think about taking your vision and strategy to execution? And for those of you listening, notice how she points things out in fours and sixes, the <laughs> very logical prioritization of where you put the efforts. So kind of teach us a little bit how you did both of those, if you would, Arianna.
1: Well, um, John, I have to um, be honest and say that fundraising the second time is easier than the first time. Uh, once you've had a successful exit, uh, I found that a lot of my investors in Thrive came in for the Series A. hmm and then for the Series B and C that we just closed, we were lucky to bring in great new investors. IVP led our Series uh, B and Kleiner Perkins led our Series C. Wow. And um, and uh, once you prove product market fit, mm mm-hmm then, as you know, it's easier to raise money because you have like a proven model. And I would say the hardest thing in moving from vision to execution, and I love, I love the line that um, vision without execution is hallucination. Yes. Uh, but the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the hardest thing is hiring. Hiring great talent. Uh, is the key, and I haven't always gotten it right by any means. Mm-hmm. And I think getting that right and creating, you know, a recruiting process that leads to great talent uh, is absolutely key. In fact, uh, um, I was talking with Reed Hoffman on his podcast, you know, Masters of Scale, and and um, I said to him that the the biggest lesson for me around hiring now is never to hire never to interview when I'm tired. I find that whenever I interview when I'm tired, I just really want to just say yes because I want to cross one more thing off my to-do list.
0: <laughs>
1: and that's when mistakes happen. So okay. making sure, you know, that I'm fully recharged and um, and and ready to say no, if I have to say no, rather than hiring because you need to fill a position.
0: Switching directions, when you talk about the future of work and the issue about working remotely, working at home, working in a mixed mode, uh, readjusting our family priorities, et cetera, uh, versus where we were before, that puts a huge amount of stress on all of us, on every listener here. How does that hand play out? If you had to say, here's my best educated guess on how it plays out, and what are the implications on our wellness that, that you see that uh, we need to be very much aware of as we go forward? So
1: John, I'm actually very optimistic for the following reason. Um, the stress and burnout epidemic, the mental health crisis, they were there before the pandemic. Uh, The pandemic intensified them, but did not create them. And as you know, it's very hard to bring about fundamental, transformational, societal, and corporate changes without a crisis. Yes. So now we have a crisis, and this crisis can be a catalyst to actually transform the way we work and live. I mean, it's really a once in a generation opportunity uh, to reimagine productivity. Because, uh, John, you know, uh, with, from all your amazing career, I believe we've got productivity wrong. We really um, assumed that to be really productive and successful and amazing at work, you have to be always on. And the truth, as all the science and all the data shows us, mm-hmm. is that recovery is part of peak performance. Ah. And we see Can that... a little bit, please? Yeah, I mean, look at it with athletes. You know, look at Tom Brady uh, speaking about why he's winning a Super Bowl at 43. And he really ascribes it a lot to his recovery, you know, sleep, what he eats, how he recharges. And I think it's the same for corporate athletes, for startup founders, for anybody. And I am a bit of a nerd, so I try to understand how come entire cultures uh, in the West, in the East, came to believe something fundamentally wrong. And it really goes back to the first industrial revolution yes. when we started revering machines and after machine software. And, you know, what is the goal of software? You know, you want to have 99.999% uptime, right? Yes. Well, the human operating system is different. For the human operating system, downtime is a feature and not a bug. And that's the huge cultural mindset shift that we need in order to reimagine and reinvent productivity and do it in a way that avoids burnout and the mental health problems we're facing now, which are connected to stress and burnout.
0: You know, it makes that sense. And Sometimes I've done some things that weren't quite as smart, like, you know, only sleeping three hours a night for two weeks in a row working and, and a lot of pressure on you, but I'm the best when I'm exercising and I'm getting good sleep and I'm more productive in 10 hours that way than I am on 18 or 20 hours the other way. I'm going to switch directions again. Uh, mathematically, we all understand the opportunity and the challenge. 50% of our population is female. And yet, we have not done a good job over time in uh, top females in key positions in the workplace and everything else. Uh, And during this pandemic, the numbers are the worst they've been in 33 years. The number of female CEOs uh, in public companies is like one and a half percent. And the good news is it's up from one percent, both of which are rounding errors. And in top technology companies, usually a number of 25 or 30% is a good gender number versus your counterparts. Yet if 50% of the workforce graduating from college is female, the number should be over 50. What are we doing wrong? Why is it getting worse? And is there two or three things that you could recommend that we should be thinking about doing better?
1: Yes. So the problem of burnout is disproportionately affecting women and we need to address that. It's disproportionately affecting them in terms of their health. And as we are seeing now with uh, so many women leaving the workforce, over 2 million women, working mothers have a particularly hard time. During the pandemic, um, the burden of uh, homeschooling, children while working felt disproportionately on mothers. So actually in Arab, app, we have 12 deep dives on, in different topics. And one of them is around gender equity. And um, we've worked with Yves Rotsky who wrote a book called Fair Play to really bring what works in the workplace into the home. How can you literally divide the chores in the home more equitably so that you can free up women not to carry the overwhelming burden? Literally, we ask couples to sit down and divide chores on an ownership model. Like at work, If if somebody runs a project, they own that project, right? From conception to execution to completion. At home, it's not how it works. Like most, um, in most cases, and the same applies often to same-sex couples, you have uh, the woman or one of the two people in a same-sex couple who is overall responsible, and then the other partner helps. Now, helping is very different. You know, you can help me with lunch, John, Or you can own lunch. (laughs) Yes. If you own lunch, you have to do the shopping, the cooking, the cleaning up, or somehow ordering, whatever you do, you're in charge. So you literally, we have digital cards that the couple can share. And let's say you take lunch. I take the birthday party. You take take, taking the children to the doctor. I take taking them to school. And then once a week, you literally have a one-on-one where you review, how did it go? Mm -hmm. What do we want to change? And, you know, it may sound like bringing a real structure into the home, but it makes a huge difference. Also, the worst thing for relationships is when a lot of little grievances and resentments accumulate instead of being discussed. And we are finding with the couples that are practicing a huge difference in uh, how burdened women feel and also how the relationship works.
0: You know, I'm realizing things in my relationship I need to rethink uh, on it. And as usual, you make me a little bit uncomfortable with uh, <laughs> so much more to learn on it. I always like to ask uh, one of my guests, what is your biggest success that you're most proud of in your business career? And what was the one do-over that, that we could learn from uh, and what would you do differently?
1: I would definitely say that um, leaving the Huffington Post to follow my passion, um, I consider just the greatest decision I took,
0: uh-huh. especially
1: because right now um, healthcare. care, is in a major crisis, John, as you know. And I believe the reason is because we are so focused in terms of our attention and our resources on kind of the last mile. You know, how do we deal with disease? And I want Thrive to work with healthcare providers as well as workplaces to focus on the first mile. How can we change behaviors to prevent disease? John, we're never going to solve the healthcare crisis if we continue having these skyrocketing increases in diabetes, hypertension, drug addiction. I mean, you know that from West Virginia, the opioid crisis. We need fundamental changes at the top of the funnel. And so I feel blessed that I can spend my days working in an area which, if we get it right, can so alleviate human suffering. I mean, I got involved in politics. In the end, that's why we all get involved in these big cultural um, areas to to reduce suffering in the world. And it's so hard in so many areas. But if we can help change people's behaviors, we can dramatically change uh, outcomes and lives. And I've seen it firsthand, you know, we're working with Walmart and yeah. there are 2.2 million associates as they call them. Most of whom are minimum wage workers who work in the stores. And uh, we've seen amazing results um, of people losing 50 pounds, reversing diabetes Um, no longer needing their hypertension medication, all through behavioral changes and all through these micro steps. Um, One better choice, you know, nothing overwhelming. Like there are people who, for example, drink seven sugary sodas a day. If you go to them and say, hey, stop drinking sodas and start drinking sparkling water, it's never going to happen we go and say, okay, great. Can you make it seven and a half sodas and half sparkling water? So you start really small. We call it micro steps, too small to fail. Yes. And then you build a kind of success muscle and you build on success and we bring in financial rewards. We just gave... Walmart um, gave us a million dollars to spend on financial rewards. So people do a 21-day challenge and we just gave the awards and it's so moving. You know, people getting $50,000 checks and $25,000 checks. And so I think we need to use every lever at our disposal to help people change behaviors rather than assume that the only thing we can do is surgery and drugs.
0: You know, it's interesting. Uh, I was going to ask you the question about dreaming bigger. And uh, Shimon Perez really educated me on that. There's no room for small dreams. You dream big. So I'm not going to ask you that question at all. I am going to ask if there was one lesson in life, especially uh, in your business career that you wish you'd learned earlier that you could pass on to the listeners of this podcast, what would it have been?
1: Well, first of all, I can combine that with the other part of your question about what I, what I got wrong, okay? because that's connected. And I would say, as I said earlier, that my hiring mistakes have a lot to do with my wanting to hire people I want to have dinner with. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> i understand, <laughs> and,
1: and very often you cannot ignore you know just the hard skills that are needed, you know the um the knowledge um the experience that are needed, and that's a much more specialized um Template than than just the cultural part and how great somebody is uh, to be with. And so, definitely, I learned. And so, I now encourage other startup founders to look at what is their inclination when they hire and how can they uh, bring somebody with them who. has a different proclivity so that you can balance each other.
0: You know, it is one that is so important for all of us to learn. We tend to learn to hire people that you you really like being around or hire people that look like us, and yet we all know diverse teams outperform homogeneous teams all the time, and you need people around you who complement your weaknesses not have the same strengths that you do. Ariana. I've got probably 10 points here that I'm gonna write down after this interview <laughs> and uh, practice much like I did from our Davos session uh, almost decade and a half ago where I learned so much. I wanna thank you for being with us today and taking the time. It means the world to me. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, John. Thank you for your leadership and for inspiring us with your work.
0: Well, we have many of the same dreams about changing the world and often working together, and I'd be honored to do that any chance it would be with big companies or in my home state of West Virginia. I want to thank everybody for listening today. Hopefully, you got as much out of the session as I did with a lot of takeaways about what perhaps we can do different or better. I might ask the listeners to rate and review the Chamber's Talks on your favorite podcast listening platform, and I look forward to seeing you all soon on another lively podcast discussion once again ariana thank you
1: thank you so much john
0: have a good day everyone